I'm David Fedor, and on today's episode of Bee Gees and Me. This was probably the biggest show I've seen in terms of arena size, but we sat so close that it didn't feel that way to us. So we had this intimate experience in a very large venue. That was, I thought that was pretty interesting. I could only imagine that you were like, oh my God, he's not going to jump up on stage, is he? He's not going to climb up there, is he? Like, <laughs> I don't remember that specifically, but uh, I guess I'm glad we didn't get jumped. I think uh, it was you know, cool to see him and see any kind of rock star in real life. And I don't remember that you did anything too crazy. He, you know, hooped and hollered a little bit. I don't remember you throwing anything at him, like underwear or whatnot. <laughs> Welcome to BG's and Me. I'm David Fedor. On today's episode, I talk with my good friend, Doug Sell. I've known Doug since the late 1990s when we met in college and we've remained friends ever since. He was a groomsman at my wedding. He's a great dude. And important to this podcast, back in 2014, he went with me to see Barry Gibb at the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. So this was Barry's mythology tour, his first solo tour. He had never toured without his brothers before. So it was a big deal, not only for his performance, but also for him personally. He had family with him on stage, though. His son, Stephen, and his niece, Morris's daughter, Samantha, they were there. That had to be a huge comfort for him. And this whole evening was wonderful. It paid tribute to the career of Barry and his brothers. And quite frankly, it was emotional. Of course, it was a big deal for me as well, because I had never seen the Bee Gees perform. It's one of my biggest regrets, not making an effort to see them when I had the chance. Of course, I didn't know I had the chance, or I didn't know that I wouldn't have many more chances. So I forgive myself because I was young, and there was no, there was no way to know that I would have such a limited time to see them. So I'm working on the invention of time travel to correct this, but that's a topic for a different podcast episode. I would not make the same mistake of missing out this time around, however. I had to be there. I was going to be there. And I was going to get good seats, no matter the cost. Living in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the closest show to me was across the state in Philadelphia. And my good friend Doug lived there. So it all worked out the way it was supposed to, and we had ourselves a real fun time. Now, a few things about the show. I made a conscious effort to not be distracted on my phone the whole time. I didn't want to be a distraction to other people around me either. Like, would my grainy cell phone photos be that important? But now, seven years later, I'm frustrated with myself because my memory is fading and I wish I took 1,000 photos. And why the hell didn't I turn around and take a selfie of myself with Barry in the background? Why didn't I do that? <laughs> I was that close. I was in the third row. You'll hear more about that in our conversation. But that is something that's haunting me to this day that I didn't do. Um... 
But I was just now, for this podcast, looking up and looking through the photos that I did take. Um, I took about 200, actually. So wrap your mind around that. Me being conservative with my picture taking meant I only took 200 photos of that evening. Um, but anyway, I found a couple of those pics that had my finger accidentally in the corner. Um, so I don't have a selfie with Barry or a picture with Barry, but I do have a blurry finger in a grainy photograph from that concert that night. Um, I'll be posting some of those photos and some of the videos from that day onto my social media pages over the course of this week. And of course, on the anniversary of the show on the 19th, that's when I'm going to post one specific video um, of a story that we talk about coming up. I don't want to tell you too much more here. Um, so listen to the story and uh, I'm excited to share share this fun little video. Um, one other thing, though, one of the things that I realized since we recorded this when Doug and I spoke, I realized that the anniversary of Robin's death was uh, May 20th, and this show that we saw was on May 19th. So in 2014, that was the day before the two-year anniversary of his passing, which I'm sure Barry mentioned that night. And I remember the emotions being very strong in the arena, and I distinctly remember crying during the Robin tribute on the show. That that wasn't the only time I cried. I cried a few times, but we don't need to talk about that either. Um, but it took me a little bit to remember the timing of the show, which I didn't reference during my conversation with Doug. So I wanted to point that out here at the top of the show, the significance of the date here. So, listener, get ready for two old friends chatting it up about the Bee Gees right after this. All right, we're rolling. Doug, welcome. Thanks, Dave. Glad to be on your show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, uh, welcome to Bee Gees and Me. Let's make this really official. Uh, Douglas Cell, uh, I, I hear you have a wonderful story of a time that you went to go see Barry Gibb. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. I think I was, I, was, I was your plus one, sort of, right? Yeah, as listeners of my podcast know, I'm a huge Bee Gees fan. Uh, that's pretty much that's pretty much what you need to know. I've never seen the Bee Gees live. And in 2014, when Barry Gibb toured with the Mythology Tour, and he had his son there, he had his niece there, he had, you know, his band, and they played, he played Bee Gees hits, um, I had to go, no matter what. It was, I've, I've missed every other opportunity to see the Bee Gees perform live. I wasn't going to miss Barry Gibb, which could have been his last tour. Uh, and it came through Philadelphia, which was uh, the closest to me. And uh, you lived in Philadelphia at the time. I said, hey, Doug, guess what we're doing Monday night? We're going to a Barry Gibb concert. Right. So it was a Monday. So the very unrock and roll kind of night, I guess. <laughs> I remember being out at the bar a little bit later than probably should have been on a school night. <laughs> yeah, anybody could any anybody could have a huge rock and roll concert on a Friday or a Saturday, but it, it takes it takes a real rock and roller to party hard on a Monday night. Yeah, but it, I and I remember that we because maybe you can tell this part of the story, but Dave bought um, you bought these. 
I don't know what they were called, like VIP tickets, right? Is that what it was? A VIP experience yeah. where we got to go in one of the suites at the um, Wells Fargo Center and have, you know, hors d'oeuvres and drinks and hobnob with other really passionate Bee Gees fans. So that was dinner, I think, for the night. We just ate the free food in the uh, yeah, yeah. in the VIP suite. And I felt and, uh, <laughs> that was probably my first time doing that, where you kind of get the sort of velvet red treatment right red carpet vip you're sitting like sixth row red carpet sixth row like you know so you know obviously for you seeing the bgs for the first time whoa i did not spring all that money for us to sit in the sixth row sir we were in the third row third row thank you for clarifying that if it was very it was very close for sure but um yeah yeah, that was my first impression was Dave is not sparing any expense for these tickets. And then I actually saw the ticket and I just could not believe the number on that ticket. I said, this is a misprint. <laughs> Too many zeros at the end of that number. <laughs> but uh, I think that I was well, very was shocked. The night by fever that. package or the right. staying alive package. I, 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 I didn't necessarily need the the vip experience or the the hors d'oeuvres before or the cake or whatever they had uh if if, if people are um you know people who put it together are sitting here listening to this you did an awesome job it was fantastic but my two free comp drinks weren't worth right the amount of money that we paid my guarantee the only thing i wanted to make sure the only thing i wanted to make sure was that we were third row close enough to the stage where Barry could hear me yell. And, um, and you know, that was, that was, again, like you said, it was one of these things that has always alluded to me and I wasn't going to miss out on experiencing Barry Gibb live. And yeah, it's, it still to this day might be the only time I ever get to. So if I had to, you know, plop down an exorbitant amount of money, then uh, it was worth it. Cause it's still it, something you talk about now. So the memory you know, it's worth, it was worth that investment because it's still a huge moment. Yeah. It, little did I know that seven years in the future, I would have a podcast episode about it. See, that's worth that's worth a couple hundred bucks right there alone. So, so. Dave, quick question, Dave. Yeah. Well, the VIP experience that, to get into the third row, you you had to buy that package just for clarification. Like you, the key, you couldn't just buy the seats. Is that correct? Right. Yes. So here's the thing that pisses me off about that. When we get there and we're sitting there, um, this lady comes in and sits in front of us. I don't know if you remember, but she was like looking all around and she was all ridiculously happy. And she was, she said something about like, she got moved up. She got bumped up. Like her tickets were in the back, but they moved her up into the to fill up the second row because there weren't enough idiots like me who was going to pay that much money to sit that close <laughs> and i and i was like son of a bitch i could have been that person who got moved up this lady probably spent 40 bucks for her tickets and she's gotten second row seats that's bull. <laughs> but yeah that was that was that was a fun time but before we get too much into that night though um I want to give some of our listeners a little background about you and I, uh, our, our friendship. We've known each other since the early 2000s, went to college together, and, um, and I wanted to ask you, back then, was my Bee Gees addiction 
in full in full bloom did you were you aware of how ridiculously addicted to the Bee Gees i was actually no it was the 90s it was the late 90s yeah, yeah i was about to i was gonna yeah i was gonna say 98 or 99 um i would yeah so i would say yes it was part of your personality like we like i think i knew you were a Bee Gees fan it was sort of like you know especially then they were probably still not well respected it was kind of a joke band to be in like the popular you know kind of mainstream yeah. where they only knew a couple songs so it was sort of like you know dave's an eccentric guy of course his favorite band is somebody like the Bee Gees. Um, <laughs> so yeah i think it was it was it, it, i feel like it was well known that was sort of like your shtick you talked about them a lot um so yes, I would say it was pretty evident. I mean, it's not like those are the only t-shirts you wore or anything like that, where it was so over the top, or I don't remember how your rooms were decorated necessarily. But uh, but yes, I always feel like if I think of the Bee I didn't, I didn't have my I didn't have my Bee Gees face tattoo. Right, you didn't have that yet. You have that now, just for people at home not to know that. But. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> uh, but yes, I would say it's, and I remember. I don't know when you first told me the story of how you got into the Bee Gees, but I kind of remember that you're in your car. You were certain, I don't know how old you were, but isn't that, is that correct? Where you heard them on the radio or you somehow heard them in a car and, you know, I got to figure out this band is that kind of moment, if I recall. So No, yeah, that's exactly what it was. And uh, I, I tell it often and um, yeah, yeah, it was definitely, definitely uh, one of my go-to stories as we all sat around and drank back in the day. So I'm sure you heard it a couple times probably because that was always one of the things that people always asked was what Bee Gees, why do you love the Bee Gees or something like that? So I always had to defend right. myself and say I was struck by <laughs> lightning and that lightning electricity was the brother's gib and it changed my DNA and and that's why. So um but yeah, all I can remember back then, and this bleeds into why I have this podcast now, is because I, like you said, was the only one who I've ever known that was a Bee Gees fan. It was just the Bee Gees and me. And it was this lonely island that I was living on by myself that uh, I tried dragging people to. And if that meant spending hundreds of dollars to force my friend to go with me to a Bee Gees concert in Philadelphia. That's what I had to do. Right. Well, and that's, I understand that passion. And I think that's, it's a cool thing to be so into one band like that. Um, I, I, I think that's great. And I'm glad that I was the person to get to go with you to that show. Um, I'm sort of surprised that I guess Barry Gibb just doesn't tour enough for you to have a second chance or uh, if there's any other future shows, but well, I, I think as he's, as he's getting a little bit older and, um, and his brothers passed away that really had an effect on his passion for performing. And uh, part of the reason that he did the mythology tour was because his family demanded that he go out and tour and do work and, and play music because he was moping around and, and feeling really, you know, bad about losing his brothers and, and oh, things wow. like that. Okay. So, um, so yeah. And yeah, like he had a lot of survivor's guilt and a lot of, you know, all that, all that, all that stuff about grieving and, and, and losing his, his brothers and his bandmates and his uh, family basically. Yeah. Um, 
So I think I know that with this latest album, he just did uh, a country album and redid a bunch of covers of classic PG songs in a country style. And um, it's, it's performing really well. And I think he wants to tour with that or at least perform with that live in Nashville a couple times uh, or maybe even just once. I don't know. But yeah, if he does that, you know, I'm going to be going to Nashville. You want to go with me? I would love to go to Nashville and I'll go to see that show too. <laughs> nice. All right. <laughs> um, so now granted I had at the time a fiance, I was engaged to be married and um, because it was a weekday and she couldn't get her work schedule and her, uh, her, she was in the dental hygiene school at the time. She couldn't get her schedule to work for it. Um, so it's not like I was begging or, or bribing. I had to pay somebody to go with me to this concert. I had plenty of options. Oh yeah. I agree. Right. And I, but I also offered you a free room and board. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So I didn't have to pay for a hotel. So that, that helps as well. So I drove out. So it was a Monday show. So the, the, the reason I'm doing this podcast now is, you know, coming up on May 19th, this show will be the, the week before. Um, but on May 19th, it'll be seven years since I saw Barry Gibb with you, Doug, in Philadelphia. And it was a Monday night show for some reason. I guess that's just how the tour went. And um, I think they play hockey at Wells Fargo Center, maybe. Yes. And he was going around to different cities as well. So I'm sure of the dates, because there were other dates and people go to concerts on Monday. So it wasn't that strange. Um but I drove out that morning and from Pittsburgh to Philadelphia, it's about a five hour drive. I stopped and got a cheese steak and uh, went, walked around Philadelphia a little bit. Do you live in South Philly at the time? Right. So it was, yeah, it was South Philly Italian market area for anyone who's listening. So pretty close to the stadium area where we went. Yeah. I, I, I remember I bought a cheesesteak. I forget whether I got Geno's or Pat's. I think I got Geno's um, and, and ate a cheesesteak. So that's why I wasn't too concerned about the food at the VIP, <laughs> at the VIP area. Um, but I also, I also knew that I didn't want to drink a ton because I didn't want to like be too in an all too altered of a state to enjoy this moment, this, mm -hmm. this, this bucket list moment. So um, but yeah, we, we met up cause you, you, you worked a full day of work. I sat in a car all day and then we, you know, right. went right to the way to think. So it wasn't <laughs> like, uh, it was too much of a party. I was kind of tired if I'm, if I'm honest right. or anything. Um, but yeah, going, going to Philadelphia and then going into this VIP area, we didn't go into the main doors. We had our own separate entrance. And then we had to walk through the hallways and in the bowels of the Wells Fargo Center and went to this room where they had all this stuff set up. They had a dance floor. They had a DJ there spinning song, uh, spinning music, you know, classic disco music, uh, not just Bee Gees. Um, and they had some food and a big sheet cake. But I remember that, you know, it it wasn't as... VIP as I thought it would be it, like it was really chill and, and he never like he didn't come out and sign autographs or you know he didn't make an appearance no yeah so I would remember that so I'm pretty sure he did not <laughs> 
no, I also would have remembered that. And <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe that's what the, the, the night fever package was, uh, versus the staying alive package. Maybe the first two rows. I later found out in later years that there was a, uh, sound check and there were some people that were present for the sound check. And I remember going and like going through a couple doors and trying to find my way into there to see if I could stumble upon him just randomly sitting on the stage, tuning his guitar or something like that. Um, and I found my way into the empty arena and I took a couple pictures and then was escorted back by a security guard who was like, you can't be in here. <laughs> Right. Um, but do you remember any of that? Do you remember any of me d trying to ninja like sneak my way into meeting Barry Gibb? I mean, I guess I, I, yeah, a little bit. I don't, I remember being in the room, like in the arena when it was empty. So either we got there really, we got to our seats really early or we hung around late. I feel like we got to our seats really early, right? Where like guys are still on stage putting down bottled water and towels. And we got in there as early as we could after after your yeah. little like you know uh, trespassing episode <laughs> <laughs> yeah because yeah they definitely let us in first and and we all walked up and and there was an opening band i forget who they were uh one of the i, I remember that like they were this cool hipster band where there was like an upright bass and the guy was like playing this upright bass yeah and i took a picture because i uh my good friend milton if Milton, if you're listening, man, I swear that was you playing that upright bass. You know Milton. You remember Milton? He went to IEP with us. I do. Yeah. Uh, but it was like one of those cool hipster bands that that you probably listened to. Yeah, I don't remember. I had no idea what they were called, but um, I had a question. I'm trying to remember, Dave. When we're at the VIP, we talked to people, right? I mean, we were kind of standing at cocktail tables, and we were the youngest people there by far. I recall that. <laughs> but yeah these were other big BG fans. So you finally had some BG fans to talk to. Yeah. It, and, it, and it was, it was kind of an intimidating experience because I wasn't sure who was there and I was nervous. So I, I was, I, I didn't take advantage of making connections as well as I should have been probably. Like, I don't remember anybody's name that we talked to or hung out with not that we even hung out like you said we were the youngest people there not only like the the people who who could have afforded the package that <laughs> right. we got and uh and who are bg's fans this isn't uh you know some kind of uh shitty bar in downtown right. philly um <laughs> so yeah it was definitely uh and and then here's the other thing too so you said we're the youngest people there i was also the tallest person there by far and that's always something that I'm conscious of when I go to concerts is people having to sit behind me. So all I could think of is, you know, a bunch of ladies who weren't very tall in stature at all, having to sit behind the six foot four dude whose big, broad, muscular shoulders are blocking their view. <laughs> and, and so I started feeling very self-conscious about that as well as I was looking around and seeing the people that we were there with. And it was a seated show, so you didn't know, like, when do you stand up? Are you allowed to stand up? If the people behind you aren't standing, <laughs> you got to sit down. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, 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 I've I, mastered. I, I went to a um, 
they might be giants concert once. I think I've told you this story before. My friend Scott and I drove to Washington DC on a whim. Uh, it was like middle of December. It was like, Hey, let's go. Yeah. All right. And we drove overnight to get there, to buy tickets, to stand in line. Cause it was general admission. We rushed to the stage and we were like in the, in the second row of people standing and they performed and, and there was this weird, like there's uh, like a gate up and like a barrier. And then there was this like little platform that was an extra inch or two off the ground. And then the rest of the general mission. So we were standing up on this little elevated riser. So it was me and him. He's not too much shorter than I am standing in the middle of the arena on with an extra two inches on our feet watching this show and at the end of the show they might be giants like said oh put the lights up yeah we want to thank everybody for coming and uh and then they pointed directly we thought at us (laughs) and said and we especially want to thank those girls right there who had to stand behind these two tall assholes (laughs) the whole night thanks for thanks for coming to the show girls and we're like oh no and like we were just devastated because we love this band so much we got to see them we drove six hours to go see them and they yelled at us on stage um so ever since then at concerts i'm definitely hyper aware and and i have that concert like they might be giants that tour that they did i forget i think it was like 2003 maybe 2004 they released all those concerts on on their website where you could download them Right. So I have that on DVD or on uh, CD somewhere where they're yelling at us from the stage. So I'm like, <laughs> I got to I got to burn that and like put that on here. That's awesome. Yeah, I'd like to hear um, that. Um, something else that I've discovered since then was fan video from this Barry Gibb concert and found some people who were on the floor, a few rows behind us who filmed a bunch of, ep- uh, a bunch of um, like a bunch of songs. Like they, they bootlegged half the, half the concert and put it on YouTube. And you could clearly see, especially my head and your head occasionally be like next to me. But like, if I'm sitting in there with my hands above my head clapping, you could definitely see in these videos, me right there in the middle, like a doofus nice. blocking everybody's view. <laughs> Well, you know, what can you do? You can't you can't control your height. Yeah, it was worth it. It was worth it. So So Barry Gibb come they have this big they like they have this video, they have this countdown and then Barry Gibb comes out. Do you remember when he came out on stage? Uh what was your what was your reaction to that or what was your reaction to my reaction to that? I didn't embarrass you, did I? No, I mean I think uh it was you know, cool to see him and see any kind of rock star in real life and I don't remember that you did anything too crazy. He, you know, hooped and hollered a little bit. I don't remember you throwing anything at him, like underwear or whatnot. (laughs) (laughs) So so I thought it was fine. Yeah, I thought it was. I mean, he was dressed kind of like a dad, right? Wasn't he dressed like a dad? I mean, like uh, kind of a sweater. Yeah, he just had a regular like pullover sweater on. Yeah, yeah. wasn't he, He wasn't too rock star ish. Like in other in other shows, he had like a button down on, but this one was just a, a, a relaxed, chill look, a little bit of a V neck, you know. Th- that was cool back then. Um, the one thing that I remember doing, and 
I found video of this and I'm going to post video online as well. So look for that on my uh, social media pages at PG's and me. So the one thing that I wanted to happen was Barry to see me. Like I knew we weren't going to be able to hug. I knew we weren't <laughs> be able to like shake hands. I probably wasn't going to be able to get his autograph or anything like that. But at least if I could see him or if I could, you know, have him see me, that would be super cool. So as he came out, I put my hands over my head and I did a bowing motion, like, uh, like a worship type bowing motion. And Barry saw that and pointed at me and gave me like a nod back. And that was, I was like, all right, that's it. I could sit here and enjoy the show and not have to freak out or anything like that because I bowed to Barry and he nodded back and you know that was pretty much the epitome of what what could happen I I did not remember that specific detail it's funny but now that you say that I do remember that happening like you know where he did acknowledge you or like he looked down in the front rows and saw it saw us so your memory is far superior than mine (laughs) Well, you have to understand, Doug, this was um, a big deal for me. Um, So, uh, yeah, other than that, like the actual show itself was fine. It was it was it was interesting to hear him sing the songs. There was obviously an absence of Morris and Robin, his his brothers there, the three of them together. That magic is what made the Bee Gees special. But it was still great seeing him. He had his son, Stephen, with him and then Morris's daughter, Samantha. Um, and I, I know that you thought it was really cool that he had his uh, his family there. Yeah, it, it, it just felt kind of like, I don't know, I gave it like a sweetness and it just it seemed like they were really enjoying kind of having a family, like a family concert tour, right? Um, and it was more stripped down, right? If I remember, many of the songs were sort of uh, danceable when they were dance type songs, but I feel like generally it was kind of like this stripped down version of a, uh, I don't know, of, of most of the BG songs. I don't know if that's a hundred percent right, but I kind of have that memory that it was a little more uh, mellow. Yeah, it wasn't, it was, the, the energy and the youthful excitement wasn't there. Um, it wasn't one of those, you know, crooner sings his greatest hits. I'm going to phone it in type shows. Um, but it was it was closer to that a little bit. So the evening wasn't a crazy disco fest where everybody's, you know, snorting cocaine and sweating out all their booze on the dance floor. It was a Monday. It was a Monday night. Uh, sit down at the Wells Fargo Center. I know that being in the third row kind of warped my perspective of the evening because we were so close. It felt a little intimate. But I remember at one point turning around and looking and realizing that this was an arena show, that this was, a, you know, there were people in Section 305, you know, a, a half a mile away, which was still impressive for uh, a performer at his stage of his career. Yeah, the two things I thought about were I, I don't really go to stadium shows. So this was probably the biggest show I've seen in terms of arena size. But we sat so close that it didn't feel that way to us. And also this wasn't just for everybody. It wasn't a, uh, an elaborate stage setup, right? It was a pretty just standard rock and roll stage. It didn't have uh, 
you know, you think of U2 or, you know, where they have flying aerials and like stages that go out into the crowd. Just didn't have any of that. It was a fairly basic stage. So we had this intimate experience in a very large venue. Yeah, you're right. When you looked around and the lights were on, you you realized how big it was. Um, but it didn't feel that way to to me. So it's um, that was I thought that was pretty interesting. One of the things that was special about that show, and I talked about on uh, another podcast episode, is that he sang a Bruce Springsteen song. Do you remember anything about that? Which song was it? Streets of Philadelphia, I assume. No, actually, or it was, not. it was, into the fire. No, I'm sorry, it was I'm on fire. And I think it fit Barry's voice a little bit better, and that's why he picked that song. But earlier, like a month or two before then, Bruce sang "Staying Alive" with the E Street Band at one of his concerts. So Barry was so touched that he because he was in Philadelphia, which is close to Jersey and close to streets of Philadelphia with the, you know, Bruce Springsteen and everything. He sang it there at, at the Philadelphia show to kind of say thank you back to Bruce Springsteen. Uh, interesting. I mean, I, I don't remember that specifically, but I remember all of like the duets he did with his niece and just a lot of the, just a great romantic ballads and a lot of the songs that I, you know, I didn't really realize he wrote or his brother wrote or, you know, some, um, mixture of the two that were made hits by other people. So I thought that's that was part of it I really liked a lot. Um, like, I'm going to mess up the one song, but is it like Islands in the Sand or um, Islands in the Dream? Islands or in the something? Stream. Yeah. Was, <laughs> <laughs> I had some natural, you know, streams. You so close. Sand. Yeah. But uh, like those, uh, those <laughs> I really liked a lot. The ballads I really enjoyed. And that's kind of the stuff I like anyway. Um, but just hearing it was like you know, spanning their whole catalog, but a lot of those songs that they wrote that they didn't popularize themselves. Yeah, yeah, that's one of the things in the '80s they had to do because the the radio wasn't playing the Bee Gees because the Bee Gees weren't cool because they were a disco band. So they became songwriters and and had all these hits with you know a dozen other artists, and then they reemerged like uh, like a phoenix from the flame and dominated again and got their respect back, like you say. Um, now I remember you liking, um, I started a joke and a lot of their older sixties material, because there was a time when, um, the, like playing music on vinyl was cool and used to go to these parties in Philly. And it was like, bring your own vinyls and you get to play music type thing or something. Or like, tell me something about that. Cause I remember you really liking the best of the Bee Gees, that yellow vinyl. Yeah. So that's, that is still the only Bee Gees record I have, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. So yeah, it was like, yeah, it's a best of, but it's, I guess their first best of, right. They're sort of pre disco best of. And, uh, I played that song a lot. So I actually DJed for a few months, um, like Sunday brunch at a local bar. And I would play, I started a joke a lot at the brunch DJing session on vinyl. So all vinyl. Um, so it was, you know, that was probably my, my favorite song by them. But I think I was introduced to that song because Faith No More, a nineties band covered that song. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's where I first heard it. And then, what, that's a Bee Gees song? 
and you know it's a it's just a great song that's one of those robin songs where uh he he gets real emotional and and old school like it's so passionate and so just like you could feel how raw that is and once they made the transition from that early raw sound into a more produced disco sound a lot of that stuff uh you know went away so i i could totally understand why people gravitate to some of those early records because they're so fun and so raw yeah exactly and i don't i mean i'm do you know, Dave, if he play, did he play that song at the show or would that be something he wouldn't do because it was one of his brother's, you know, maybe more personal songs, I guess? I want to say they played a live video or they played a video of Robin singing it to a montage of um, of like Robin clips to honor him because Robin just passed away like maybe a year and a half to two years before that. He, he died in 2012. So this would have been the first time Barry performed anywhere before that. I do remember that now, or at least some sort of video montage. At least it was better than a hologram, which could be a little weird. <laughs> uh, but like there was a screen behind, there was, a, there was a screen behind him. Yeah, yeah. There was a big, 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 big screen uh, with video and live feed of the actual um, concert as was going on. And then, you know, above us, which we couldn't even see because we were sitting so close because we had awesome seats. Um, were were even more uh, screens for everybody else in the in the audience. Now, as part of these awesome seats and as part of this package that we got, we got swag. This is uh, this is swag that the rest of the whole audience didn't get just me and you and a few of the other people that were down there in the first couple rows. Do you remember this? I still have my, well, not really besides my laminated badge. I have that still. <laughs> well, I have your hat. I stole it. Okay. So they, they didn't give us any of this stuff. Well, they didn't give us any of this stuff at the show. They mailed it all like a month and a half later. I still have your, as and the people at home can't see me holding this up to the camera, Barry Gibb Mythology Tour, cool hat. <laughs> um, and you got this cool myth Mythology Tour tote bag. See, this almost feels like a PBS uh, for monthly installments of, Twenty four ninety nine. You can get this tote bag. Yeah, this is very unrock and roll giveaway items. But this is an. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a very cool. This is canvas. This is cool. Like you throw this over your shoulder while you're riding your bike on the bike lanes downtown, going to the um, the Whole Foods, yeah. and you can put your organic produce in here. That's you know very. It's cool hipster rock and roll. But I. I don't know if I've ever, I've, I've had these kind of in storage, but on the back of this, it says Boston, Philadelphia, Chicago, Concord, Los Angeles, Wontaw. Is that, so I hadn't seen that side of it. I was afraid to open these. So it was a very small, very small tour. Oh yeah. He didn't go, go all over. He, I think they, he did one half, one leg over in like Europe and did a bunch of shows there. And then in, um, 
here in the States, he only did those six shows. One, two, three, four, five. Yeah, he only did these six shows. I almost considered, or I did consider, I almost did it, buying tickets to every show and going on a road trip and trying to go to every single one of them. But it would have been ridiculously time consuming and um, definitely not... Uh, the, I wish I would have gone to the Hollywood Bowl one because that seems like a, a fun show or the Concord one or whatever uh, that's out there in the Hollywood Bowl. Los Angeles, California, I guess. Um, that one seemed like it was fun. Um, but then there, you also, Doug, have at my house uh, BG's Mythology Tour program. Wow. So these are going for a decent amount on eBay. So uh, you you should be lucky or you should be glad that I held on to this for you for <laughs> Thank seven you, years. Dave. Can I come by and get it tomorrow? You're welcome. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, here, one other thing I need to get. All right. Now, one of the other, one of my biggest memories of the evening was at the end of the show. So Barry said goodnight, waved to everybody on stage and left. Right. And I had hoped that maybe I could kind of bum rush the stage and try to shake his hand or something or um, just do, but that was obviously not going to happen. I could tell. Um, but I still hopped the chairs to get close to the stage to try to find like a pick or, or try to find something that was there. And I remember the roadies came out and start taking the guitars away. And I was like, Hey, Oh, Hey, any picks, any picks. And I like start yelling and trying to talk to the roadies like, Hey man, can you help me out? Whatever. And the guy was like, no, nah, we ain't got nothing, man. Just go home. Just go home. There's nothing here. Go home. And then he like bends over and he starts picking something up off the ground. And I was like, what's that? Can I have that? What's that? And it was this, the playlist from the evening that was at the feet of the man himself, Barry Gibb, that had the list of songs that he performed. Here's I'm on fire right here. The Bruce Springsteen song. And actually, you could see here. Yeah. Where was it? Here I see, it is here. Yeah, I I see started it. a joke. So they did do that. Um, I saw a joke uh, for, for Robin. Um, but do you, do you remember? Because I remember kind of turning around and looking at you, watching me beg for stuff off the stage and being like, oh, my God, this guy's going to embarrass me. Do you remember? Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, I do remember that because I remember just kind of standing back and hoping you didn't get in trouble. I didn't remember that you got the actual set list until I see it now, but that's, that's awesome. But um, yeah, I, you know, I let you indulge in whatever behavior you wanted to do as long as you didn't get beat up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I could only imagine that you were like, Oh my God, he's not going to jump up on stage. Is he, he's not going to climb up there. Is he like <laughs> the level, no, no. the level of fandom that I have uh, who knew at that point? Cause I think probably I was dead set on getting something and I knew that I needed some sort of, uh, memento. And I remember getting that. And I remember people around me being like, Oh, what? Ah. And 
I rolled it up in a little tube and put it underneath my shirt as we walked out of the arena because I didn't want the hassle of other people. Not that I thought that a bunch of Bee Gees fans would jump me for a set list, <laughs> but I didn't want a bunch of Bee Gees fans jumping me for a set list. That, that's a good topic for one of your shows is what are the top five things you could get from a concert, right? Like guitar pick, drumstick, set list though. Is set list is up there. You know, even if it's a piece of paper in aerial font, you know, it's still a cool get. yeah that was one of a kind that was you know gib eyes looked upon that yeah definitely i remember getting out of the arena and i think i bought a a a bootleg t-shirt from a t-shirt vendor outside the arena for five bucks um and then i remember getting on either the 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 bus or the uh subway to go back to your apartment and taking the set list out and opening it up thinking, Oh, I'm safe. I could look at this now and having all the eyes of the subway car turn and look at us and be like, Oh, Hey, what do you got there? I don't remember that specifically, but um, I guess I'm glad we didn't get jumped. Yeah. That, that was, (laughs) that was when I was, worried because we were in a confined space and it was clear that I, you know, had this and, and I rolled it back up and put it back under my, my shirt and was like, all right, I gotta, I gotta, gotta uh, stay safe and be smart. Don't don't flash this around. (laughs) Um, So, so all in all, all in all, you know, we had a death defying trip home. We had, uh, a fun, enjoyable concert, uh, the VIP treatment, um, you know, any other, any other memories or any concluding thoughts that you'd like to say about the Bee Gees mythology, the Barry Gibb mythology experience? No, just, uh, I thought it was a, I really enjoyed the show. Like not just from a enjoying it through Dave's eyes or being happy. I was there for you. It was a good show. Like it was enjoyable you know, sometimes you go to a show and you're like, you're ready for it to be over by a certain point. I really just loved the music. I thought it was awesome. And uh, I was just glad that I could, you know, be there and experience it with you. And I would see him again. I mean, I I, I guess I'm that's sort of sad that he's not playing. He, he would sell out shows. He could play, you know, that sort of stripped down vibe and be very successful, I think. So hopefully he tours that country record. Um yeah. yeah, and and I was le- I was legit serious. I am going to Nashville when that happens. I will get tickets and go. And if you want to come along with me, I would be honored to have you as my plus one again. Well, thank you, Dave. I feel like now I'm you know I have to go to any Gib show you do. <laughs> A precedence <laughs> has been set. It's been yeah, exactly. It's been set. Hey, man, I really appreciate having you on here as well to celebrate the anniversary of our trip and and reminisce and and think about the fun time we had. Thanks, Dave, for having me on your podcast to talk about the Barry Gibbs show in Philly. And I know that this is just making me think about other concert experiences. It's nice to revisit something like this. So um, thank you for giving me that opportunity to think about it. Really enjoyed being here. 
That has been this episode of Bee Gees and Me. I want to thank my guest and dear friend, Doug Sell, for joining me on this trip down memory lane. I hope you enjoyed it, listener. Please send me a message if you did. I'd love to hear from you. And if you have fun stories from concerts or trips to meet the Bee Gees, then I want to talk with you about them. Send me an email at bgsandme at gmail.com with the subject header, My Bee Gees Story. And tell me a little bit about your story. If you'd like to chat on the show, we could jump on a Zoom call. We could record it and put it here on the podcast. Or if you would just want me to share your story, I could read your email, whatever you're comfortable with doing. Long story short, I want this to be a place for us to be able to share our stories about our experiences and our love of the Bee Gees. Um, during our conversation that you just listened to, Doug and I talk about a moment where Barry acknowledges me from the stage. Now, I've found video of this, and I have it, and I want, I'm going to post it and share it on the 19th. So be sure to follow my social media accounts so you can see this, one of the highlights of my life, at Beaches and Me on Twitter and Instagram, and Beaches and Me on Facebook. And of course, subscribe to our YouTube channel for great videos. You can find all of these accounts and links and more at BGsandMe.com. And please be sure to subscribe here where you listen to this podcast and rate it five stars. It helps so much. Thank you for listening to this episode. My name is David Fedor, and this has been BGs and Me. And many more. Any last Bee Gees parting thoughts before I stop the recording? No, I think I'm good. <laughs>